growing up from 12 years old, being incarcerated, you learn the ways of the street, not the ways of society, and we take things into our own hands. That being said, um, I probably broke every bone that I could get my hands on in this kid and ended up in maximum penitentiary at 20 years old in Atwater. And that was uh, pretty hardcore. Yeah, it's serious. Yeah. There is a better life for yourself. All you have to do is ask for some help. Before, I didn't give a fuck about anybody else. Literally, I didn't care about my mom or my dad or anybody else. I and mean, everybody had given up on me, so I've given up on everybody else. And that's changed. Today I care. Today I cry. Like before, there was no emotion in me. You know, there was, I was numb. Today, I, I am an emotional human being. I can participate in someone's life emotionally, and that's amazing for me. This is Transformations Recovery Podcast. On today's episode, Roman interviews Tommy, illegal arms dealer, convict, recovering addict. Due to the graphic nature of this podcast, listener discretion is advised. Okay, we're here at Transformations, and today we're talking with Tommy. Go ahead and uh, get us started. Hey, what's up, everybody? My name is Tommy. Got invited to do this show, and uh, was really looking forward to it. So uh, let's get it started. So I guess I should share a little bit of uh, what it was like what I did to get to where I'm at now, and uh, what I have planned for my goals and aspirations for the future is most important, I believe. So what it was like was uh, my first interaction with drugs and alcohol was around uh, 11 years old, growing up, trying to be hanging out with the older crowd and uh, experimenting with pretty much everything under the sun. The first drug that I had used was marijuana, weed. Grew up in a house that it was okay to smoke weed or the family smoked weed, so it wasn't uh, it wasn't as hard to get, you know, back then as everybody else had a problem. I just went to the garage, <laughs> you know, and stole a bong rip out of the dad's bong. Nice and convenient. Yeah. And uh, things drastically escalated from there. But um, looking back, I, I found uh, that I really had a serious problem with the way I felt about myself. And it talks about that in the book. Uh, the reason why we drink and use uh, is the desired effect. And the desired effect for me was not to feel whatever crap that I felt, you know, at whatever point. And it was usually uh, pretty bad. So early on at a, at a young age, my family separated, um, got a stepdad moved in and just butted heads with the dude. He is a wonderful man. Looking back, um, I owe him everything, but in my youth it was rebellion, rebellion, rebellion. point where they gave me up to the ward of court. Uh, 
like 12 years old and that had a very profound impact on my my feelings about myself of like if my family doesn't want me then what the fuck you know so I you know started getting in trouble going to juvenile hall being placed in group homes and stuff like that at a young age always uh hanging out for a minute allowing them to assess me start, I just wanted to quote unquote confidentiality within this uh, uh they they tried medication once or twice and it was just I I numbed out and ran away and that was my my gig was I was I was a runner I just was never comfortable anywhere what uh what decade are we talking about uh this would be the 80s so what, what, what did they try to medicate you with? Uh, then, um, well, imipramine was kind of my first uh, real uh, screwball that they threw at me. Um, I took it for a while, maybe eight months. I was in a boys home, all black boys home, I'm a white dude, in Santa Ana, and uh, fighting every day, and just not happy, not getting anywhere. Um, and just ended up running away and going back to the streets. Yeah, that medication I imagine didn't do anything for you. Nothing good. Well, it just anyways. numbed me out. Yeah. You know, I, I I don't even remember that time frame really. I just remember the bad things that happened. I don't re remember anything good that happened at that time. And right. that was a chunk of like nine months. You know, you would figure you look back. I, might, I can look back on my other other portions of my life and pretty have a pretty good eidetic memory. You know, I think. but. Uh, I started experimenting with other drugs, um, methamphetamine, cocaine, and alcohol, obviously. And I found a solution to feeling uncomfortable in my skin. And it was just to get high and numb out and run around like crazy. And I had no responsibilities. I didn't pursue any school. I always just ditched school. Early on, I skipped a grade. I'm fairly intelligent, so it was not a matter of being dumb and not being able to participate or pass the test or anything. It was just, I think it was too advanced for the grade that I was in. So I skipped uh, eighth grade, went right to high school, and that was probably not a good idea. That put me in a, a little bit older of a crew. And just bouncing around from party to party and living on the streets at 14 years old. Had my own place at 14 years old. Just something that normal kids shouldn't do, you know. Look back, I never had the opportunity to allow my brain to fully grow, you know. It was just muddled by drugs and alcohol at such an early age. And I, I'm not surprised at where I had ended up. There's a couple pretty substantial incidences that you know I got myself into as a kid. I'm from Orange County, up in Silverado Canyon, and had some run-in with some Asian dudes, and went, went and stole my dad's guns and was posted up on them. You know? I had like 13, 14 years old, and that's just a result of a, a crazy adolescent mind run wild, you know. And uh, didn't really get in trouble. Mom saved me out of that. But uh, I did end up going to juvenile hall and once again felt, you know, 
the the loneliness inside that cell at such an early age and like I said earlier not surprised of where I ended up you know things just really progressed from there um, using and drinking breaking you know infractions felonies this and that been to prison like four or five times since then so what was your hustle what did you do I mean obviously you're committing crimes to get drugs what was your what was your trip uh, one of my trips was guns buying and selling guns one of my trips was counterfeiting you know I'm pretty like I said I'm pretty intelligent and it's kind of hard to make a buck so if you don't have the opportunity to make a buck you just make a buck just make a buck <laughs> <laughs> you know so I did some time in the feds for that possession of counterfeit. Yeah, they get all upset about you making your own money. Yeah, yeah, they don't uh, they don't like that. So yeah, they tack that onto one of my charges. So I guess uh, my first real interaction with incarceration uh, directly re related to my drug and alcohol use was uh, 18 years old. You know, actually I was 17, but turned 18. Um, you know, I just. Uh, had a problem with um, wanting whatever that I saw and just taking it. I've never robbed anybody, but I have taken some people's cars, so I guess that's robbery, <laughs> right? But it always just gets dropped down to driving a vehicle without owner's consent or, or, or joyriding or whatever. You know, that's that's been my unfortunate MO is I gotta have transportation and if I don't have it, I'm gonna borrow it for a long period, you know? So I take it you had some attorneys hanging out with you if you were getting all these pled down, or was that just the way OCR No, nope, it's just the way it happened. Uh, I always had a public defender. I've never had any money, per se, to have an attorney. My family is not very well off, so it wasn't like they were going to fork out a bunch of money and go broke to represent me for my dumb decisions. So you were right there with most people with the public pretender. Yep. Yeah. Yep. There's a ward of the court from... From 12 years old and just at the mercy of the court, you know. Here at Transformations Recovery Podcast, everyone from Roman, our host, to our producer, editor, and everyone in between, is committed to helping those who are still suffering. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, share, and review. It will really help us out. Thanks. So I guess my first major run-in would probably be uh, I'm selling guns for a, a roommate of mine, or buying guns for a roommate of mine, and one of my friends gets busted with some an explosive device in his house, an aspirin bottle with a fuse in it, right? Mm -hmm. So they did the whole, hey, give us three dudes and we'll drop your shit down to probation. Well, so I ended up being a target for that ATF investigation. He wore a wire to my house at one point I sold him a AR-15 and a Colt 45 and just like fucking television just right? like fucking television right so they started following me around real heavy and of course when you do methamphetamine you notice that kind of shit so you know I decided to follow them around well one day they weren't having that <laughs> you know and uh, they led me into a trap and you know arrested me initially it was just fell in possession of a firearm I had a I always carry guns, they, that's why they call me guns. I had a firearm on me and some counterfeit on me and they arrested me for that. And uh, 
took a real sweet deal for that, you know, just a real quick turnaround for the firearm, whatever. But what I didn't know was there was a federal charges, you know, being filed. Yeah. So they scooped me up out of state prison. The Secret Service picked me up at the gate and uh, took me to the local magistrate. And uh, I ended up getting, I think, like 57 months for 28 firearms in my house and possession of counterfeit currency with the intent to defraud the United States government. Um, a few other minuscule things or whatever, but uh, that was my first uh, real interaction with prison. I went from, for some reason, whenever I go to prison, they never let me out. I always get picked up by someone else because my, my mess is pretty wide, right? I paroled from state to the feds and uh, I was young. I was, uh, I think, 20 years old. When I got to the feds, um, that was my first real interaction with the whole prison gang trip. Um, I'm a little, kind of a little guy. I mean, I'm stocky, but I'm kind of a little guy. So I was just taught in prison not to put up with anybody's shit and kind of caught the eye of a few people that, that matter, I guess. And they kind of take a liking to me, you know? So uh, I'm in a medium in Phoenix, Arizona, and some sex offender infiltrator or band or whatever and you know growing up from 12 years old being incarcerated you learn the ways of the street not the ways of society and we take things into our own hands that being said um, I probably broke every bone that I could get my hands on in this kid and ended up in maximum penitentiary at 20 years old in Atwater and that was uh, pretty hardcore yeah it's um, serious yeah, and uh, the echelon of the prison gang was even more prominent there, and I just uh, jumped right into whatever I gotta do, let me know, you know, I'm gonna get it done. And uh, at that place, it was pretty strict. Everybody's walking around with multiple weapons on them. In the feds, it's, uh, Everybody's on the yard. I mean, the whole country's on the yard. So you got every gang, every major gang from the whole United States representing themselves on the yard. So it's pretty tough. It's I mean, it's not tough. It's pretty uh, it's pretty um, interesting. You know, like um, you get to experience all these different kinds of people. And I'm pretty much a good people person, so my first job was infiltrating all these other other people because I'm really I'm really the clean cut. I got no visible tattoos, so they just sent me on on all these other trips to figure out what what their what their gig was, you know, as as investigating their byways, what their rules and regulations and all that stuff were. So. And the more you know inside there, the better the better off you are, the safer you are. Well, yeah, knowledge is power no matter where Correct. you're at. Yeah, knowledge and uh, then you can apply your wisdom. I like to say wisdom is applied knowledge. Yeah. So uh, I was there for quite a while in Atwater. Um, paroled in 2007 and uh, did not learn my lesson. I tried to parole with no clothes on. I gave all my shit away. Tried to parole with just my my envelope, my paperwork, and my boxers. <laughs> At 5:30 in the morning, they come to unlock my door. Uh, I had my I had my own cell for years and years and years there. I was and I had made it. You know, I, I arrived, whatever. <laughs> and uh, so they go to unlock my cell, and they're like, "What are you doing?" 
I'm like, well, I'm paroling. You got to get some clothes. So that was like, a, that was a funny day. But uh, so I made it home. Um, actually, my family had actually offered me the opportunity to move back in with them, uh, which was which was rare. Um, they've done that a few times on paroling. At that time, I right away got got a job. I never have a problem getting a job. Like I said, I'm pretty intelligent, and if I apply myself to anything, it's mine. So I got a job working for a demolition company. They turned out to be real shady, so I went and stepped it up and got, got in with a huge demolition company. The downfall of that was, at that time, I was clean and sober and everything. My uh, pro federal probation officer wouldn't allow me to travel to a job that was gonna pay me pretty good for this company. So it was one more time of someone involved in my life with the with the say so either a not allowing me to do what i feel i need to do or helping me progress and holding me back and i just spiraled out of control from there and when you say clean and sober were you in any kind of a involved with any program or? Uh, yeah, my first interaction with hardcore AA, as I like to call it, was at Phoenix, Arizona, in the feds. I have a support group right now of people that have been in the feds. They're in there and now out here. Mm. Uh, a lot of us convicts in the program, we stick together. I got introduced to AA there. Didn't really, I mean, I've been introduced to AA before in my youth, but I never went to a meeting. I never really did anything with it. I just heard about it, maybe read the book because it was the only thing to read. So did you get sober on the inside before you paroled? Yeah. Yeah. No shit. Yeah, I got sober in, uh, let's see, 2004, and I was sober uh, till 2007. And I went to, uh, it was a funny thing, I went to Phoenix and I met uh, a few people, uh, my friend Shane and Joe, and they were just glowing. Like, you wouldn't even expect, you, you, if you didn't have the prison garb on, you didn't think these dudes were in prison, you'd think they'd fucking work there. You got gotcha. you. I mean, they did work there. I mean, we all had jobs or whatever, but. Oh, yeah, I get you. Uh, but that's just how it was. It was just, uh, these dudes were glowing. And uh, it really sparked my curiosity of how these dudes could be, I mean, it's kind of lame saying, free on the inside. Mm -hmm. um, not a care in the world just a smile on their faces and uh, giving, caring, kind souls. And these dudes are doing 20, 20 years each, you know, and just willing to like hang out and, and be real, you know, not after what kind of money I got on my books or wanting me to do anything. And I had a lot of negative interaction with a lot of other people who were all about uh, what kind of hustle I could get over for for them, or who I could, you know, who I could beat up for them and get away with it. I was pretty good at that, you know. Uh, but these individuals, they weren't with it, all that. Uh, and I ended up leaving Phoenix, like I mentioned, and going to Atwater Penitentiary, and then uh, ended up paroling. And when I paroled, Shane had given me someone's phone number to contact when I got out, and I called the dude. And I didn't even know Shane and Joe had gotten out, right? So I called the dude, met him, 
my friend Dave. He came pick me up and he's like, hey, we're going to go to the beach. And I'm like, okay. I've been at the beach for years, you know? Yeah, let's go. Right. So he's like, yeah, we're going to go see Shane and Joe and these other guys at the beach. And I was like, what the fuck? You know, it was like, this is the dude that they gave me his number and uh, they're still clicked up, you know? So I show up at the beach and everybody, you know, they're like, what the fuck? How'd you get here? I'm like, dude, I kept this dude's number for all these years. <laughs> all these freaking years, I kept this dude's number. Like, that was my, like, I don't know what it was. It was just something telling me, don't lose this fucking dude's number. You know, he's my sponsor. I worked for him for a while and uh, relapsed and went back to prison and I'm back out again. But we're still tight. Uh, all these dudes in me are still tight. So I went to the beach and everybody was there. It was just a trip, you know, to see that they actually, it wasn't just bullshit. Because if it was bullshit, these 20 year, like on that same term, these 20 year dudes wouldn't be out, you know? Like dudes like us, when we go in, when we get that kind of time, if we don't fucking do something different, we're never getting out. Right. And uh, so when I went to Atwater Penitentiary, uh, there was a few brothers that really had an eye out for me and they weren't allowing me to stay in prison for the rest of my life, point blank. It was a matter of I was much better off for everybody out than I was in. I mean, that's just how retarded I get, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I mean, I'm down, you know what I mean? I'm, you know, but I'm a genius, you know? Like the the potential for me to become anything I want to become is prevalent in uh, in my get down so people saw that and I had a few people like tell me you know come into my cell and he'd be like hey man I'm not putting my hand up for you and there's nothing you can do about it so let's fight about it and let's move on and uh, I want to see you outside uh, one of those dudes was Rick man I love you so that was an outer water penitentiary uh, I go to this meeting he takes me to this meeting in Atwater and it's a uh, convention. They brought a convention in. And it blew me away was the main speaker was a warden. And I'm thinking, what the fuck, you know, what is this? Who wants to go hear a warden fucking talk in an AA meeting in prison? Right. This dude's fucking story was phenomenal. He was a fucking federal prisoner. And now he's a federal warden. So at that moment, I was like, the sky is the limit, you know? If I apply myself, the sky's the fucking limit. Yeah. I can become or do anything that I want to do. So um, I remained sober from like 2003 or four to 2007. You know, I got out, had that interaction with my PO and really took a downward spiral. Ended up smoking some weed and testing dirty. Went to a program, went to the Phoenix house graduated the program, got married, had a child. I have four kids, it's kind of like my mom, I get out and find a girl and we have a baby and uh, you know, I've been with like seven women in my life, that's it, you know, like, and uh, so I get married and have this kid and, and uh, for, I guess the only time that we were together, I was violated, I was either in a federal halfway house I was in on doing a violation or running, you know, running and gunning and just about to be back uh, through our whole relationship. I'm not surprised that we're not 
you know, together anymore. I had nothing to offer. Right. You know, it seemed like I did at the time, but just having a kid isn't really, uh, or getting someone pregnant isn't really um, a good idea just to get married because you're having a kid, you know, just shit doesn't work out like the old days, you know. Uh, so being said that I had been involved with uh, a prison gang trip, I had been communicating all throughout, I guess, my life with these people. Uh, on the phone to different people and all kinds of people in prisons and uh, someone I had met in the feds uh, had become you know, a member or whatever and he was just doing some dumb shit on the phone and I got wrapped up in a pretty big case um, three life sentences um, extortion for the benefit two conspiracy to commit murders and uh, through that also uh, a homicide I was involved with and um, God moved into my life. I was in that cell for four years fighting those cases and uh, basically just threw myself at the mercy of the court. Majority of my co-defendants were all, um, you know, not being uh, stand up about things. Doing whatever they had to do to get a deal. They were doing what they had to do to get a deal, which I mean, it sucks to say, but fuck, who blames them, you know? I just got lucky, really. Um, I had, um, eventually they gave me an offer of 14 years, and I denied it, and then 12, and then they denied it, and I took a 10-year deal. Um, and after being in the county for so long, there was light at the end of the tunnel. I had remained sober since the day I got arrested. And I had been sober from that day in 2009 to 2017, all inside, all going to AA in the, in the, in the joint. Everywhere I went, I uh, latched onto some people who, who were doing the freaking deal. Eli, you're gonna hear this, I love you. Uh, he's a liver who had paroled and we were together, you know, like doing the fucking deal just completely stop associating with the people that are gonna keep us in prison forever and uh, associating with the people who want us out, you know? Was there some friction when you were getting off the people that wanted to keep you in? Um, not really, actually, surprisingly. It's not really like that. I mean, people think it is like that, but it's not really like that. These days are just, well, I always did whatever the fuck I wanted to do throughout my incarceration. I mean, I never, I don't have any stab wounds on me. I never made any bad calls. I never fucking got any, any dope debts. I never fucked anybody off or fucking disrespected anybody. Um, hell, I, the only fights that I've been in prison were just cleaning up incidents. I never, have never been in one verbal or physical altercation with anyone in prison in my life, or in jail. Uh, the only ones I have been in were just somebody fucked up and I'm on. Right. Uh, so I had a reputation, or I have a reputation of being a stand-up dude, getting shit done in a major way, and like the whole respect slash fear aspect is prevalent. I like to say that inside people really don't respect you you know, they just don't want you to fucking do to them what you did to someone else. 
Yeah. You know, and I've done some fucked up shit to people. I mean, not fucked up shit to people, but I've done some severe shit to people where if don't fuck with me, you know, and that's that's what little guys got to do. Don't fuck with me. I'm going to get my don't fuck with me face on. You know what I mean? <laughs> right? Yeah, I hear you. Two thousand seventeen, parole off that case. Was doing really good for a while. Ended up getting into a relationship with a girl who was using heroin. I have never, I had never used heroin ever, not once in my life. And uh, started chipping. With, she changed that for you. Started chipping with heroin. Uh, her story was, I want to get clean. Help me. You know, I was doing very well. I mean. Uh, my buddy had just bought me a work truck and another friend of mine had given me a car and I had a job and a, and a place and all that shit. And I just, I don't know. I don't, I do not know what happened. I guess heroin happens, dude. And I went from smoking a little bit of heroin to, I've never, at that point, I had never used a needle intravenously. Uh, I went from smoking to a needle in my neck, straight up in a couple months and all my friends could see it and uh, my family could see it, but I couldn't see it. I was just like, uh, in a, in a freaking daze, you know? And, uh, I had thought I was in love and I thought I was going to help this girl. And that's, I was her hustle. Yeah. Apparently I was her hustle. Yeah. And, uh, Ended up um, borrowing a friend's car. Uh, he actually had come scoop me up from where this dope pad I was living at. Um, this this dude I had taken care of in prison. He turned it around on me. He came to where I was at doing bad, scooped me up, and took me to his house. You know, out of Orange County, out of Long Beach, out into the desert, try to clean up and. Uh, I had borrowed his car um, for a couple of days longer than his dad would have liked. He reported it stolen, and then off I went to prison again. And that was uh, that was in July twenty fourth, two thousand eighteen. That's my sobriety date. No shit. Yeah. So this guy that came and scooped you up uh, was he a sober member? No. Just a good dude. Just uh, just someone that. I mean, this was my workout partner on the yard. Like, uh, he wasn't very well off inside. I am. And, uh, my gig was, Hey man, work out with me. I work out hard every day, you know, work out with me and I'll feed you. You know, that's kind of our, our relationship in there and it, and it grew. And, uh, so he turned it around, like I said, and, you know, did that or whatever. So whatever his dad did reported the fucking car stolen, you know, that's just, uh, Normal people do shit like that, I guess. So yeah, uh, I'm not surprised, right? So, so here I am. Well, everybody knows the whole prison, you know, what goes on or whatever in there. Um, I do believe it changed me forever. I'll probably never be okay. I have PTSD just from being in prison riots and watching people die on a regular basis in front of you, watching cops shoot people fighting, Yeah, you know, 
Um, it's just how it goes down there. So, uh, I, I've allowed my, I guess like looking back, I've allowed my idle mind to take me to some pretty fucked up places. You know, uh, somebody raped my best friend's wife and that was the homicide that I was involved with. That's not going to happen again. That's the that's the kind of idea mindset that we have as convicts. Is we're not going to allow that shit to happen again. And the only way for that not to happen is is, is uh, you know pretty extensive, pretty extensive. Uh, so I have to live with that shit, you know, on a daily basis. You know, it's pretty uh, it's pretty difficult sometimes. Uh, I like to think that I'm a tough dude. Um, I like to think that uh, all this, all these experiences that I've had don't constantly run through my mind, um, but they do, you know, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty fucking real. Um, I have like uh, another situation going on with my family that's uh, pretty hardcore that involves something similar to that and it's just like. Fuck, it's taking every fucking thing I have in my soul not to react the way I've been raised to react. I don't want the fucking consequence. I know what the consequences are. I'm not going to be out here. Right. You know, re regardless, they took the death penalty off the table in California. Um, it's just my next sentence is to fucking never get out. I mean, it's just... I'm that stupid. I allow things to go so stupid. It's just, I know it's going to happen. This episode has been brought to you by Transformations Care Residential Detox. Visit us online at transformationscare.com. So what I've been doing is programming my ass off. I met somebody in prison. I tried to get him a job. He got, he uh, hooked me up with his brother, got me some work. I'm training to be a helicopter mechanic, I'm training to get my certifications. I work for a helicopter company in Orange County, very prominent helicopter company. It's clean cut as it can be. A guy like me just doesn't have a fucking opportunity like this. I was saying to myself last night, I'm standing in my hangars working on the airport manager's vehicle, um, who he had left the keys there for me <laughs> in my toolbox. And, uh, I get pretty emotional right now. I got a couple million dollar helicopters in my hangar, highway patrol next door, and IMPD over there. You know, it's like, um, how? I ask myself, how? You know, I have to keep saying to myself, I know how. It's, it's the effort that I put into myself is shown through to someone, even if it's just one person to give me a fucking opportunity at life again. And I believe that God has had his hand in my life forever. I just never gave him the opportunity to, to work in it. I guess the, one, of the, one of the things that had happened to me a long time ago was I had a child with this, with this girl and I was going to church, very brief period of time. And the pastor had told me that nothing right will ever go in my life if I didn't put God first. Man, I had the biggest resentment against that dude for 20 plus years. And uh, now I know he's right. 
because I was putting myself before everyone. I was putting what I wanted, my materialistic mindset, and my don't give a fuck about anything or anybody in front of everything. And it was pretty wild. So um, I've been going to church with my dad, uh, rekindling my relationship with my family. Um, yesterday I got to take my kid hiking and uh, I'm living a life today that I never thought would have been possible at all. I mean, I sat in a pizza slice fucking, which is a half a cell for four years with three life sentences from that to traveling around the United States, fresh out, actually having to ask my, my officer, you know, hey, can I travel for work? I'm a jackrabbit. I mean, I don't report when I get out, you know, if things start getting crazy. So once again, God moved into my life or worked his hand in my life and allowed them to allow me to be be there for this company. You know, I just got back from Wyoming. This is my second trip out to Wyoming. And uh, a guy like me doesn't just get cut loose like that. It's unfathomable to me. The fact that they're letting you cross a the county line. The super, right, the I mean, I have line. a 50 mile radius I'm not allowed to go <clears> out of, right? Uh, without permission, right? So I go in to get permission to go out of state or whatever to work and the supervisor was like, well, you know, if you come back, <laughs> I'll come and see you, right? And they're probably betting that I'm not coming back. That's just how I get down. Um, that's just what I've done in the past. I've done my, I've done my federal PO uh, wrong. You know, I told her, hey, catch me if you can, like literally. Um, got violated and told the judge, like, I don't want some piddly little violation. Kill my number. However much time it takes, fucking kill my number. I'm at that time. I'm, I had been on probation or parole for twenty plus years, and I was like, you know, what? fucking, I'm over this, dude. You're you're not gonna run my life anymore. I'm gonna run my life into the ground, and I'm not gonna allow you to tell me what to do, right? So I was like, kill my, you know, I'm, unfortunately, I paroled from that small violation to this other life case. So they were like, yeah, 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 we'll let you off, right? back to this <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> but um since i paroled in 2017 i haven't committed any crimes um i haven't uh I've, I've relapsed but i haven't been running amok and apparently that shows because they dropped my high control gang terms and all that nonsense that i was on down to a little county probation now that i have six more months left of no shit and uh i'm I'll be off probation. I'm 42. I've been on probation or parole since I was 11 years old. Straight. Not one day off. And, uh, well, most of that time has been inside, however. So that's my, one of my major goals for myself is to maintain with no reservation of getting high when I get off probation. That's a big thing for people is, oh, I'm going to do this for as long as it takes to get off of this, get this monkey off my back and then go back to my lifestyle. Right. I know that if I don't adhere to the strict program that I have laid out for myself to get off this shit, that if I revert back, then what's the point? There's no fucking point in it. 
Yeah, there's no reason to go through it and now if you're just going back later. This time around, I've found myself being comfortable with finding suitable substitutes to using and drinking and making myself feel better. I guess that's a major, major speaking point for me is that um, if you're out there and you don't feel good about yourself or your situation or your circumstances or on and on and on or whatever the fuck's going on around you, you must find something to occupy your time that makes you feel good. Like I love to fucking suit up and show up for work. I mean, I have a dream job, I get that. I guess people don't really wanna to love to show up to work at McDonald's, all right, I get that. But that suitable substitute um, has gotten me feeling pretty high. Like, like I said, I went hiking with my kid. I go surfing. I took my kid downhill mountain bike riding, like just all kinds of, you know, different things. Right now I'm trying to uh, organize bungee jumping out of one of my helicopters with some friends or, or, or parachuting out of one of my helicopters with some friends. Wow. Just pushing the edge, you know, safely pushing the edge, right? But with the aspiration and a goal, you know, that, that uh, to stay focused on. And make little ones too, you know, like all your dreams and all your aspirations are, you know, sometimes way out there. Sometimes you got to have little ones so you can get the sense of accomplishment. You know, as a convict, I guess that's a big, big deal is, uh, is getting those little pieces of accomplishment along the way to build yourself up. You know, like for instance, getting a car or getting a place to live uh, on my own. I had made a plan inside this last term to go directly to a sober living. I wasn't gonna go home. I have issues with my family at home or whatever. And that's always caused grief. So mm -hmm. I went to a sober living and stayed there long enough for me to find my own house for rent. So that's what I got going for myself today is I got my own place. I got a, I got a car, I'm getting a truck, starting to you know rebuild my, my tools. I'm studying to go to school. I don't have to go to school. The, the company's gonna, uh, they're providing me with everything that I need to obtain my licenses, all the books, all the training, everything. I just have to put in the time and they'll sign off my stuff and I go take a test. Nice. And I'll be uh, licensed uh, with my airframe and power plant license for helicopters. So there's a lot of responsibility, man. Um, I don't look at it like that. Um, I'm a very critical person, right? So I think that's kind of why, I, how I really like where, where I work is whenever I work on, I've been a mechanic forever. Whenever I work on anything, I'm always going overboard. Like I work at Ford and they're like, hey man, just get this shit done and don't worry about anything else. If a car comes in for a brake job and something else is fucked up, don't worry about that, whatever else is fucked up, just do this. And I'm like, hey, look, this person's gonna go drive this car and get in an accident or whatever because this is fucked up and you don't want to address that because you're a dealership or whatever. And I'm just, that's not me. So in the industry that I'm in, it's, it's not like that. You know? It's gotta and be perfect. It's gotta be perfect. Yeah. And I guess being a, being a convict or a perfectionist or whatever, like that's just the way it is. And it sells clean. Like, tip top and so is everything else, you know. What are you and them guys at the beach doing now? So uh, I live with one of them uh, that I was in the feds with. 
Uh, he's my roommate. We go to meetings all the time. Whenever he's in town or I'm in town, we hit meetings, uh, we do panels, we uh, go out and have fun when we can. Um, Shane and Joe and Dave are programming their asses off. They, they own their own businesses. Um, Dave's an electrician and uh, Shane and Joe, they own their own construction company. And Tell the folks listening what you mean by programming. So programming, it's not like the programming or the programma that we have inside. It's not uh, keeping your shoes on and fucking rolling up your fucking mattress. It's fellowship. It's, uh, it's step work. It's having a sponsor. It's doing the steps, not just having a sponsor by name. It's doing the steps in order and, and keep doing them. Not just because you did them once five years ago. Getting out there, going to do panels uh, in in low engine bottom recovery homes or high class places, it doesn't matter. I like to get with a bunch of old timers and not just newcomers because I'm the newcomer, right? And, and I know that they say the newcomer is the most important person in a meeting or in a fellowship or whatever. So I kind of like go at those guys because I'm in it for them and they're in it for me kind of a trip, you know? Yeah. So, so the dudes that I've been hanging around with, they got Lots of time, you know, 17, 20 years. Sponsors got 20 some years. That's what's up, you know. So programming is, to me, is going to meetings, having a sponsor, doing your steps with your sponsor, fellowshipping with other people in the program, looking out for newcomers, uh, giving them rides. I, every time I go to a meeting, I'm like, anybody need a ride home? Just going out of your way for people who are attempting to do this or get out of whatever, wherever they're at. Like for instance, last night, I talked to this dude, don't even know who he is. I had met this girl when I fresh first got out, who was strung out in uh, where you get your, your cow benefits or whatever. And uh, I was like, hey man, you know, you don't have to live like that anymore. And she started crying. I'm like, man, this, you need help? Let me know, I got you, I'll help. I know a lot of people. I mean, I fucking know a lot of, a lot of people. And uh, she had called me. Well, I get the, and I message her, hey, I'm back from Wyoming. What's, what's going on with you? Well, I didn't even know she had a boyfriend, whatever. I mean, I have a girlfriend, so it's not a big deal. But um, I was like, hey, what's going on with you? You know, what's up? So I get the, the message back from the dude. Hey, don't contact my girl anymore. You feel me? You know? So I was like, hey, man, uh, I'm not interested in your girl like that. I was like, she asked me to help her get into her program. And the dude was like, immediately, he said, please call me. And uh, so I called him last night and introduced myself. He knows of me. Of course, there's a small world in the convict community. He knows of me, I know of him. And it went from him tripping out on me, calling his girl, to me shooting him phone numbers to get his girl into a program. So hopefully we can get that shit done for her sake, mm -hmm. you know? But uh, that's searching out newcomers, as far as programming, going out of your way, doing things that aren't things that you normally do, being uncomfortable, talking to people like this, socializing with people, just walking into someone's home, hell, driving down the street, seeing someone who is down and out and, and uh, talking to them. Um, I just got back from Wyoming and the social, the social 
um, stigma in in California is fucked up. People out of California are friendly. They'll stop and talk to you. It, it's it's a trip how we have just shut down socially over here. And programming is the opposite of that. It's getting outside of yourself, outside of your mind, uh, outside of your thoughts and helping someone else. That's the 12th step is I have had a spiritual experience as the result of these steps that I've been working. And I have been practicing these principles in all of my affairs or I wouldn't be where I am today. The most important caveat to that is, is to help the next person who desperately needs that experience. And that has allowed me to turn a bad day that I'm having into someone's fucking fabulous day. Because even if I'm having a shitty attitude or a bad day or whatever the fuck's going on with me, there's someone out there that is having a whole hell of a lot harder of a time. And by pressing myself into their life with something positive, it just snowballed into my karma, you know? And those bad days for me just keep getting smaller and less bad and smaller until like, I don't have a bad day, <laughs> you know? I haven't had a bad day, right? I mean, I even in, in the joint when, where I was just at, I made the decision to do this fucking deal again, you know? Pick myself up, dust myself off, and I haven't had a bad day, not once. You know, I mean, it's just not there. Um, I haven't had a, a thought to get high. I haven't had a thought to drink. It's just been, uh, it's been like I've been in bliss, you know? I mean, they talk about the, the pink cloud or, you know, all that stuff, but uh, I've had some fucking dark clouds. And uh, I guess the way I know I'm not on a pink cloud is that the book says I have a 24-hour um, period contingent upon my spiritual maintenance, and I've been putting it in, and that's just the result I get. Been doing the work. That's it. Remind me again of your uh, sobriety date. July 24th, 2018 is my sobriety date, and uh, for that I am freaking eternally grateful that I was arrested and put in a cell so I could freaking kick heroin and uh, give life another chance not only for myself but for my kids and my family and for people like you guys that are listening and maybe get something from this you know i mean this is this is what's up it's amazing how good your life gets when you try to help somebody else it is you know there, i believe in karma and and uh that, that god has a, a destiny and a, and a plan for you and you know lots of different spiritual paths that i've experienced but if you are injecting yourself positively into someone else's life, uh, for whatever reason, things just go right for yourself and you don't have to do anything. I didn't have to go seek out this job. I called the dude and he picked me up and had an interview and the next day I was fucking hired. Like I didn't even fill out a fucking resume or an application. Like, how does that happen, right? was like so you got a history I'm like yeah and he's like are you over it I'm like yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know and you know I suited up show up to work and you know completely freaking detailed my fucking hanger and he's like all right kid you know it's just a direct result of helping someone else in any way shape or form drastically has this 
I have this like this rush, um, don't, you know, this buzz going on. You know, for lack of a better analogy, is I'm buzzed. Like I've found my suitable substitute, and it's like being proactive. You know, in someone else's life, it matters. Yeah, being a service to somebody matters 100. percent Yep. Like yeah. that's why I was so interested in this. Heard about this at uh, went to a panel and met just a total stranger that I had never met before. Heard he heard my story. I heard his story. And he's like, "Hey, um, come and you want to come and check this out?" And I was like, "Been looking forward to it since I left for Wyoming." And I was like, "Yeah, man, let's do this." Right on. Yeah. I appreciate you coming and doing it. Did you drive up from OC? Yes, I did. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, any length, right? Four or five. Length. Any length, <laughs> right? Any length. Um, so if you're out there um, and you're struggling or if you're out there and you're complacent, there is a better life for yourself. All you have to do is make one little decision and ask for some help if you can't do it on your own. If you're like me, you can't do it on your own. I can never do it on my own. I have to be arrested and put in a cell for at least a couple of months to allow my brain to stop functioning in that direction, you know. So I get it if you're out there and you're struggling or you're complacent. Pick up the phone. There's like a thousand million different ways to change. There's a thousand different pathways. There's no one that can tell anybody that there's a specific right path you know there's religion uh there's aa there's na there's ca there's all kinds of a's out there just conveniently it's located at the beginning of the book na you know um so call somebody pick up the phone you want my number you can my contact information will be on this podcast um i'll blast it out there right now 657-319-5761. Call me if you need help. Um, I will make time for you. If I can't make time for you, someone else that I know will make time for you. And my phone's ringing. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, like I said, if you're out there and you're complacent or you're struggling, um, Take it from someone like me who has been through, I hope the darkest times of my life and been able to turn this around. I guess that's the most, that's the, the gig here for your show is turning it around. So I got 20 plus years in, in, in custody, like uh, day for day in custody, probably 20, probably 25, give or take 25 years. I'm 42. So. If you do the math on that, I haven't spent very much time out. Um, and I'm sick and tired, uh, as stupid as that saying sounds, is I'm sick and tired of allowing someone to tell me what color clothes I gotta wear, how much money I could spend at the store, uh, or what I can spend at the store. Um, when I can walk around the track, when I can't walk around the track. <laughs> and what direction I gotta walk around the track in. And how many people I gotta walk with. <laughs> Three walking, four talking. Nonsense, you know? How am I supposed to spread the message with three walking and four talking? <laughs> right? But um, pick up the phone. 
call me or call somebody. Um, ask for help. Uh, like the book says, you'll be amazed before you're halfway through. And I'm amazed and I know I'm not halfway through my life. And I'm thoroughly amazed with what I get to do today. It, it's, I don't even look at the stuff that I have to do. I, I don't even say I have to do anything. I don't. I get to do all this stuff today. I get to go to work. I get to show up for my kids' lives. Um, I get to do things like this. And this is stuff that I definitely, absolutely did not like have any remote interest in being a part of before. Like that's how I know things have changed within myself is before I didn't give a fuck about anybody else. Literally, I didn't care about my mom or my dad or anybody else. I mean, everybody had given up on me, so I've given up on everybody else. And that's changed. Today I care, today I cry. Like before, there was no emotion in me. You know, there was, I was numb. Today, I, I am an emotional human being. I can participate in someone's life emotionally. And that's amazing for me. Um, today, I, I, I get to do whatever I want to do. I don't have to do anything. And that's just a result of working my program, uh, being involved in my life. Yeah. Right on, man. I appreciate you braving the 405 to come out there. <laughs> yeah. It's kick ass. Yeah, there was, there was traffic on a Sunday. It was kind of weird. Yeah. I left early, though. Right? Anticipated my needs. <laughs> right on, bro. All right, man. Thanks for coming out. Yeah, no worries. You have been listening to the Transformations Recovery Podcast with host Roman Cooper. In every episode, we will explore the ways profound transformation happens in people's lives. Each guest illuminates their own path to recovery with the hope that their journey will help those struggling to change. This episode has been brought to you by Transformations Care Residential Detox. Look us up at transformationscare.com or call us at 424 340-9267. 12-step programs have no spokespersons and the views and statements in this podcast do not in any way represent 12-step programs. Transformations Recovery Podcast was produced and edited by Sammy Town and Annalisa Cheshire. We would like to thank our guests and everyone who has helped us out along the way. If you are struggling with alcohol or drug addiction, please go to aa.org or na.org and ask for help. And please remember that suicide is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. If you are suicidal or even contemplating suicide, call the National Suicide Lifeline at 800-273-8255.
This is the tre- This is the tremendous. Yeah, wait. Keep, keep it rolling. <laughs> <laughs> Why?